your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, welcome to the show. I am Betsy Hicks, your host. And today's show, we have my mentor and my friend, Dr. Kayla Daniel. Kayla is a certified clinical nutritionist and board certified by the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists in Dallas, Texas. She has a BA and MS degree at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York, and a PhD in nutritional sciences and anti-aging therapies at the Union Institute and University of Cincinnati, Ohio, and she's a board member of the Weston A. Price Foundation in Washington, D.C. She is the author, and she has a wonderful organization called The Whole Nutritionist, where she counsels families, and um, she is the author of the, one of the greatest books that I believe has ever been written on nutrition, and that is called The Whole Soy Story. And today's show is about soy, because it is not the health food that we all think or have been told that it is. Dr. Daniel, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, Betsy. It's an honor to be on your show. Oh, you're so wonderful. I, I, I have had you on my show on Autism One Radio twice before, and I, I love having Dr. Daniel on my show because she always teaches me so much, and she has so much knowledge in so many different areas. I want to talk, obviously, a lot about soy today, but it has become more and more aware. I've become more and more aware about so-called studies in order to prove anything in food. And this is in, in general, but USA Today did an article um, about a month ago, actually it was about the time at Autism One, saying that the, out, the outcome of studies is greatly... Uh, basically swayed to whoever is actually paying for the study. Well, you know, that doesn't take a lot of common sense to really think of, but yet when we see study after study in the paper, in the media, in our magazines, we think, well, if it's a study, it must be true, forgetting about who possibly funded the study. So do you feel that with soy, I mean, this is an, this is an industry that is contributing extremely been manipulated by the studies of large corporations? Very much so. Uh, the turning of soy into a health food has been a big marketing effort, and the most important part of their marketing has been promotion of soy as a health food because the problem was nobody wanted to eat it on its own merits because most people don't like the taste, and there's also a lot of side effects like gas and so forth that people don't usually appreciate. And so they had to turn soy into a health food. And in order to do that, they needed to fund a lot of studies showing that soy is healthy. And there are so many ways you can design a study to prove anything you want it to. That's definite. I mean, just think of all the foods out there that have their claim to being study. And I... Um, 
that are claimed to being healthy. And I think about um, what, even going to vaccines, and I, and I hate to, to switch to that piece right now, but a lot of our listeners are very well aware of what's happened in the vaccine industry, and they're very well aware of not to trust and, and who are you supposed to believe and backhanded money and the whole piece. But they have to think in those terms in food as well because it's an industry that is so huge and so highly manipulated. And, um, Dr. Daniel, you don't – I haven't talked to you about this either, but um, an upcoming show I'm going to be doing in September is with uh, Deborah Coons-Garcia who produced uh, the, the wonderful documentary, The Future of Food, which talks a lot about GMO and such, and I'm – very, very excited about that. But you learn a lot about what happens in Washington when it comes down to lobbying of getting food passed. Um, I, I think it's very interesting, the history of soy, and I've asked you to explain this on my last show, but I, if you could do it again regarding uh, the, the peace with the monks, because I think that is a very, very funny story, and it, it always gets a chuckle. Well, soy doesn't date back very far in terms of evolution. Uh, the earliest food, uh, soy foods date back about 3,000 years. Now, that might sound like a long time, but in terms of evolution, that's not very far back at all. And soy was originally used, the soy plants were used because they're excellent fertilizer. They're excellent green manure. Soy plants are wonderful to use in crop rotation. And sometime around 3,000 years ago, somewhere... In China, they discover that when you fermented soybeans for a year or more, they could become nutritious, healthy foods in the context of a varied diet, of course. And not too long after that, the monks discovered that you could use a precipitation process and make tofu. And uh, the monks decided, uh, they noticed that as tofu consumption went up, then the randy behavior went down. In other words, it helped those monks maintain their vows of celibacy. <laughs> the libido was greatly decreased. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we now have some science for that. Uh, there's indications that those plant estrogens that we find in soybeans uh, do interfere with hormone production, including testosterone production. So if you don't like your man, feed him a lot of soy. <laughs> I have to say, when I when I give lectures and, and, and quote that piece, a lot of women get very excited about what they need to do when they get home. <laughs> um, but the, all of the different pieces, there, there's so many reasons that soy can be so um, detrimental to our health. And one piece that really hits with me a lot is the protease inhibitor part um, because so many of the children that we see in our clinic, at least, and, and that are all around, have are lacking so much in their pancreatic ability to produce digestive enzymes, specifically protease. And by having any of this blocked, um, digestion is becoming painful. Yes, digestion is one of the biggest problems we see with people who eat excess soy. And certainly with children with attention deficit disorders and autism, one of the first things we always have to do as clinical nutritionists or physicians is we have to heal the gut and we have to heal the pancreas. And soy contains a lot of uh, what are called protease inhibitors, and protease is the enzyme that we use to digest protein well. 
So yes, soy contains a lot of protein more than any other bean, but it comes equipped with protease inhibitors. And what happens is that you swallow a lot of protein, but you don't have the enzymes to digest it properly. And uh, sometimes initially the pancreas will work overtime to produce more enzymes and you won't notice bad effects initially. But if you keep whipping that pancreas every day, day after day, at a certain point it's going to get tired and you're going to have some health problems there. That would make sense. Is this where the flatulence piece moves in as well? Is this, is this partly related to why it's so gas-producing? Well, the gas production is another whole issue. Soybeans naturally contain a lot of something called oligosaccharides, and they're sugars. And we find them in all beans. It's just soy has more of them. And beans are notorious as musical fruits. (laughs) And uh, soy is the king of musical fruits. (laughs) And uh, the soy industry actually sponsored many, many studies having to do with this problem with flatulence. And they're hysterically funny if you look at them in that way. I mean, they tested, um, you know, dogs, rats, college students, and other animals. And uh, with the college students, they had them wearing gas-tight pantaloons, you know, with duct tape holding them in at the waist and <laughs> so forth. And um, they would test the amounts of gas and the, you know, the the levels of projection, and they had odor judges and all sorts of things. Wow. And the soy industry definitely saw two main factors with the American public accepting soy as something they wanted to eat. The first was, how do you get rid of that beanie flavor? Yeah. And the second is got to get rid of the flatulence factor. And, in fact, um, with most modern soy products, things like soy protein isolate, uh, the flatulence factor is not an issue anymore. But some of those old hippie foods like boiling soybeans for hours on the stove or making soy flour, uh, a lot of gas problems with those foods. So soy flour in general will produce gas? Lots of it. Okay. And that, this is this is a big piece. I want those that are listening today to really realize how much soy is in their food and their children's food. If you have never heard of soy being a problem before, just go inside your refrigerator and your pantry and start picking up boxes, and you'll be amazed as to how much soy is snuck into a, a large amount of what it is that we eat. Um, going back to, to this piece and... Um, uh, all of the, the different ways of, of preparing soy, you had mentioned at the very beginning that the fermented soy is a nutritious way. So things such as tempeh and miso, which are fermented, would be good choices? Uh, for most of us, uh, miso soup particularly is a good choice because those soybeans have been fermenting for a year or more. And uh, the fermenting process reduces those protease inhibitors, so it becomes something that's very nutritious and and easy to digest. And it also reduces some of the other components of soy, the ones that affect our ability to absorb minerals properly. And uh, it's just a good food that you would eat in a limited way. Uh, You would not eat it several times a day. At least I would not recommend that. Sure. But it's very different from the modern, highly processed, industrialized um, soybean products that we have in the market now. And tempeh, you know, I, it's not one of my favorite foods, I have to say. Its, it's pal- palatability factor is, is kind of low on my book, and I can eat just about anything. Although 
I assume served with the right sauces and prepared the right way can be tasty. Once in a while, something like tempeh is fine, and there's a good product called natto that's really popular in Japan, but these are things that children are very unlikely to eat. I yeah. Mean, the best thing about natto from a child's point of view is that you can string it around the room. You know, it's really stretchy. It's really fun <laughs> to play with. Uh, but it smells so bad that in, in Japan yeah. they have restaurants where they have separate rooms for the natto eaters. Oh, really? But it is good food. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. But dealing with children, that's, that's not going to pass. Okay, we're, in a little bit we're going to take a break. What I want to talk about when we get back is a lot of what um, soy does to the thyroid because this is a really important piece um, for both women and, and men. Uh, we'll be right back with Dr. Kayla Daniel, author of The Whole Soy Story. Don't go away. Thanks. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Hello and welcome back. We are here with Dr. Kayla Daniel, and we are talking about her book, The Whole Soy Story and Soy in General. Um, one of the pieces I want to hit in this segment is talking about the thyroid, but before we do that, Dr. Daniel, I'd like to talk about, um, I know there was some recent movement over in the Israeli and the French government about banning certain pieces of soy or warning on soy. Can you explain what's been going on in those countries? 
Yes, last July the Israeli Health Ministry issued a warning saying that babies should not receive soy formula, that children up to age 18 should eat soy no more than once per day to a maximum of three times per week, and that adults should also exercise caution because of adverse effects on fertility and increased breast cancer risk. So wonderful that they did that. Uh, well, those Israelis, they care about that biblical injunction about um, about multiplying. Right. It's huge. And, that, and knowing that it goes to the fertility piece is something we definitely are going to speak of after we talk about the thyroid. Uh, what, what did the French government do, though, by, before we go on to that? Yes, the French Food Agency is now implementing new regulations that are going to require warning labels on soy products. And first of all, they're going to require the manufacturers of soy infant formula to remove nearly all of those plant estrogens. And it's the plant estrogens that put the growing children's brain and uh, reproductive systems and thyroids at risk. So the French are saying, you've got to get them out of there. And the uh, French are also going to have warning labels on soy milk and other soy products that will say children under three should not get those foods. Children who have thyroid problems should not get them. And that women at risk for breast cancer or who have been diagnosed with breast cancer should uh, rethink eating soy. That's great. I'm so glad to see um, some governments taking such an active role in making sure that um, their citizens are getting proper warnings. Let's, let's talk about what you just brought up, which is the thyroid piece and the estrogen dominance. What is soy doing to American women? Well, what I'm seeing in my clinical practice and what I hear about the most from the many, many people who write me is that people decide to start eating a lot of soy because they've heard it's healthy. And uh, a lot of these people are midlife women who are using soy to self-medicate because they think it will prevent uh, menopausal symptoms. Now, there's no good evidence that it does that. In fact, the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research um, recently published something saying that the studies on soy and menopause are inconsistent and contradictory and poorly designed. So a lot of women have been doing this because the soy industry promotes soy as good for menopause when in fact it's not. But what these women don't know is that soy has been proven with more than 60 years of studies to harm the thyroid. And if your thyroid is down, and there's many ways that soy can harm the thyroid, what we see most often is hypothyroidism or low thyroid with symptoms such as weight gain, lethargy, malaise, uh, fatigue, uh, skin problems, hair problems, many, many problems if your thyroid is down. And this is what we see so often. Now, when we get into children, we've got a situation where... Uh, Children who've been on soy formula and who have been given soy milk as a dairy replacement or whatever, uh, these children are at much greater risk for autoimmune thyroid disease. And when those children are put on thyroid medications, they're going to need higher doses, and there's just plain a lot of risks. Right. Well, it, I've also seen, through at least through our practice, that men and boys that are eating lots of soy are developing breast buds and problems as well. We hear so many stories in, along those lines. Now, of course, they can't do a study with human subjects, so 
we only have animal studies in terms of what we can rely on in terms of scientific studies. And people say, well, we're not rats and we're not pigs and we're not mice. Well, hello, of course we're not. But if there's problems in every animal species tested, it's reasonable for us to think that human animals might be affected as well. And we're seeing more and more of these reports of boys with delayed puberty, developing breasts, uh, their sexual organs are not maturing, and uh, later lower sperm counts and stuff when they're married and trying to start a family. Yes. So there are a lot of risks, especially to the boys who are on soy infant formula. Talking about married and trying to start a family, uh, um, there's, I, I'm, I'm making this assumption, but you may be able to know for sure. Is is the United States number one for dealing with fertility problems or infertility? Uh, I'm not sure about whether we're number one. It's certainly something that's epidemic in the Western countries. Wherever we've got a situation where there's a lot of environmental toxins and a lot of food products as opposed to food and people more and more malnourished, which right. is certainly what we've got going on. Yeah, I guess compared to um, uh, a lot of the more malnourished uh, third world countries, although they probably in many ways um, don't have these these problems, that we are being so faced with fertility with so many of the women and men and couples that are seeking and spending tens of thousands of dollars on options in fertility. Well, we're hearing of so many people who are doing just that, and they need to be addressing the nutritional factors first because the bottom line is if people are on low-fat diets, low-cholesterol diets, they don't have the building blocks to make hormones. And uh, in our country, we've been taught to think that fat is evil and cholesterol is evil, and we've got people who are who are scared of, of traditional dairy products, and they're scared of meat, and they're scared of eggs, and what you need if you want to be fertile is you need fat and you need cholesterol. And you can look at any biochemical textbook and look at that pathway. That's what makes hormones. People are petrified of eggs. Why are they so afraid of eggs? They're afraid of cholesterol. And that's that's the main thing. And despite the fact that there have been many recent reports, even in the mainstream media, saying that there's no good proof that eggs are a problem, uh, many people still are trying to avoid eggs. And uh, there are certainly some health issues having to do with factory farmed eggs, but, you know, if that is a problem, which which it is, um, then we need to get, uh, get uh, eggs from free-range poultry and the so-called organic eggs, you know, the best eggs we can get. But we do need to eat eggs, yeah, my, and I, especially the yolks. Right, right. I love them. I, I raise my chickens. Uh, which I'm, I'm very fortunate to do, but I, I, I needed you to say that for my dad's sake. I'm going to make sure he hears that because he's still so afraid to have more than a couple eggs a week, and um, yet people aren't aware of how, so what, how cholesterol is actually formed and, and how egg is not the biggest culprit of that. But I'm getting completely off subject. I'm sorry. I just wanted to bring that in there. Um, so soy milk, it's it's huge. It is. At Starbucks, it's at, um, you know, e- even all throughout Disney, certainly when I was there. I mean, you can find it just about in any restaurant, even at this point. Um, and we have children that are being taken off of dairy because of the whole peptide situation, which I have to agree with. 
However, um, what parents are switching to right away is soy. And what what is that doing to these kids? Well, soy milk is not the worst product that's out there, but the big it is one of the biggest problems because people who drink soy milk often drink several glasses a day, and certainly parents would encourage their children to drink several glasses a day. And uh, this is the problem because that can, that gives you quite a high level of those plant estrogens as well as some of these other things that affect the digestion, affect uh, mineral absorption, and the kids are not growing well on soy milk. And even Newsweek came out with an article a month or two ago indicating that they're starting to identify malnutrition typical of third world countries on children who are being given soy milk and rice milk. Very interesting. But what about if, if they're needing to get, if, you know, milk, we have a whole, um, a large population of children with autism, they're going off of milk. If, if what they're needing from their milk is calcium and magnesium, potassium, um, would you agree that it's absolutely essential that if they're not having dairy that they need to be on a proper supplement? Because the best form of getting these minerals is through a lot of dark leaves, leafy green vegetables, which is also very difficult to get down the kids. Right. I recommend that uh, parents make coconut tonic for their children, and that would include dolomite powder, which includes calcium and magnesium and some other wonderful things in a very absorbable form. And the coconut pe- coconut milk ingredient is something you can find in cans at um, supermarkets and Whole Foods Market, other other places like that. So easy to get. It's it's not. Not a difficult situation. And Where can we get the recipe for that? Uh, my website, soyfreesolutions.com, has a frequently asked questions section. Okay. And that has all the information. And coconut, if a child is not allergic to coconut, and most aren't, uh, coconut is an extremely healthy substance for all of us. It nourishes the thyroid and it supports the immune system. And children with autism, children with attention deficit disorder, and other health challenges need that kind of support. And this is a good dairy and soy substitute that's got some nutrition because rice milk doesn't usually outright harm people, but there's no nutrition right. there. It's overly sugary, and uh, there's there's nothing there. What about almond milk? Um, I think it's a little better than the rice milk, but it's not something that I think is is really healthy, especially not in the packaged form. Right. If you make it yourself, you can get a bit more benefits from that. Absolutely. Okay. And the thing is, you know, one of our challenges is as parents is that if we're going to feed our children really well, we need to get into some habits having to do with making real food. Yes, yes. That's a, 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 that's a show all on its own, <laughs> yes. and, and we, we have to do that. Let's, we're going to take another break right now. When we get back, let's talk about the allergy of soy milk and as well as cooking uh, replacements and how to get soy out of your diet. We'll be right back with Dr. Kayla Daniel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. And welcome back. We are here with Dr. Kayla Daniel and talking about the whole soy story. We've had some neat conversations about what's happening in the industry and lack of what's happening in the industry. We just talked about soy milk. I wanted to finish um, part of that piece, Dr. Daniel, because one question that I get asked a lot as a diet counselor is, how much is too much? Um, you know, as an example, um, a woman might say to me, you know, very rarely, maybe twice a month at the very most, I go to Starbucks, and if I have the dairy, I'll be really sick, so I'll get the soy, and I don't, it doesn't feel bad, but I know it's not good for me, but I'll get soy milk in a frappuccino or whatever they're called, and um, is, is, is that okay if I do it that, like, just like twice a month type of thing? And I'm sure you get asked that a lot as well, too. What's, what's typically your response to that? Well, everybody's different. And I would say it has so much to do with how healthy you are to begin with, what your health challenges are, yes. how reactive you are personally. And there's a lot of components to that question. Now, somebody who's basically healthy, I would say there's not really a problem having soy even a couple times a week. Now, I would certainly urge that to be soy in the form of tempeh or miso. Right. 
uh, and that's something I would enjoy myself. But we're not talking excessive amounts. We're talking a couple times a week in a healthy person who doesn't have a thyroid problem. Right. Now, um, I would hesitate to tell someone not to meet their friends and have fun at Starbucks once in a while. But if that person has thyroid problems or something else, maybe another option at Starbucks might be a better <laughs> or option. Or the tea. <laughs> have the tea. <laughs> or the apple cider, maybe. Or something right. else. Right, uh, and that, that's very important advice, yeah. And we have to remember that if you're eating any food products as opposed to real whole food, if you're eating anything that's in packages, if you're eating out at restaurants, if you're eating fast food, which is not a good idea anyway, but all those foods contain soy or, or they are very likely to contain soy. If you go to a burger joint, there's going to be soy in the burger, in the bun, in the shake, and uh, those french fries are going to be cooked up in partially hydrogenated soy oil. It's soy, soy, soy. So people who don't think they're eating soy because they say, I don't drink soy milk, I don't like it, I don't right. eat much soy, well, guess what? It's in bumblebee canned tuna. It's in uh, if you uh, get pasta sauce that's ready-made. Uh, all the salad bread. dressings, the, the typical ready-made salad dressings, they're all soy oils. And this is the biggest challenge for people who are actually allergic to soy. Yes. And for those people, even a molecule of soy is a real problem. And uh, those people are so challenged uh, because soy is everywhere. If they go into a health food store, there's soy dust, you know, around the bulk bins. There's soy in cosmetics. There's soy in fabric softeners. And as soy biodiesel fuel takes off, you know, we're going to be smelling, you know, McDonald's uh, smells coming out of motorcycles and cars. And this is going to be very harmful to some of the people with severe allergies. Right. And, and, and soy is one of the top allergies, correct? Yes, it's widely regarded as one of the top eight, and some experts say it's increasing. Some people have it as in the top four now. And that's why the FDA in January started requiring that uh, food manufacturers identify soy as being in the ingredients. So they can't hide under hydrolyzed plant protein anymore. They have to spell it out, S-O-Y. Oh. But unfortunately, they don't necessarily have to identify soy oil or soy lecithin, and they should not be a problem for people who have allergies, but I cannot tell you how many letters I get from people who are reacting to those things. So even the labeling law isn't perfect. That's very concerning. Um, I, I know that it tends to be very different with the, the children that I work with as to how much they can handle. A lot of the kids can handle the lecithin um, or even potentially the oils, but they can't do any of the protein um, versions of. Um, my son is one of those. He he really he can't really even do the oil um, at this point, but he can. If something is a very small ingredient, less than something, he can usually handle that. So it's it's hard for a parent to know just how far they can go with it. Um, but definitely, with a child, as my is, with so many of these kids have, they do have all of these hormonal problems, especially as they're getting into puberty. That it really has to be limited. Um, let's talk about other alternative ways of um, of cooking and getting calcium in us. Um, we, I, I know that I do, 
you know, a lot more with autism than you do, um, Dr. Daniel. And but you see a lot of children with autism, and and whether or not you subscribe to the whole peptide piece um, is definitely not certainly my uh, something I need to know at this point. But I know that you are certainly a, in favor of a lot of raw milk. And I, I'm in favor of them, too. I'm just concerned about their use for autism. What's your feeling on that? Well, my experience with children in general is that many who are lactose intolerant and uh, are going on to things like soy milk for that reason, uh, in many of those cases, those children will do just fine with, with a raw milk. Right. And it's not every child, and it's probably not some of these autistic children, uh, but I wanted to put that out there at least for parents whose, whose children are lactose intolerant, if that's the basic problem. Right. Uh, raw milk might work. Or adults. I mean, we're talking about parents here as well, too, um, and, and not just raw um, cow's milk, but goat's milk as well and sheep's milk. Are you... Yes, my children are adopted, and I made a homemade formula based on goat's milk for my children since they weren't able to have breast milk. And uh, they thrive on that formula, and um, there's information about uh, homemade formulas on my website, soyfreesolutions.com, so people can learn how to make those. Uh, because we do need to catch these children right at the point that they're infants because uh, if we get them on the, raw, on the wrong formula at that point, we may have lifelong health problems to be dealing with. And that's important for a, a parent who may have a child on the spectrum and is having another child. Um, and they need to, number one, know that when they're nursing, they have to be extremely careful as to what they're eating, especially avoiding soy at that point. But also, if they do need to go to a formula option, um, safe ways to make some. And I know you're a fan of Sally Fallon's work in Nourishing Traditions, the book Nourishing Traditions. And you've taken that on even further with, you have some recipes in, would that go back to soyfreesolutions.com? Is that where they would go for Yes, those? there's a lot of information there. And uh, Sally Fallon's book also uh, makes some recommendations in terms of taking the best of the commercial formulas and adding a few things to make it a better product. So you don't have to make it from scratch entirely. Or find a local goat somewhere that you right. can actually and, get the wrong. Uh, Sally also has some completely dairy-free formulas. See, even... Companies like Gerber used to have a meat-based formula for children who were allergic, but they phased that out when these cheap soy formulas came in. But uh, hardly anybody is, is allergic to these meat-based formulas, so that is definitely one of the options we should consider with our children. Why does the state of Wisconsin, of which I live in, ban the, the sale of raw milk products? Many states do that. Uh, Years ago, the, when pasteurization first came in, there were a lot of problems with um, with uh, uh, raw milk that had been, uh, it was basically unsanitary and causing a lot of diseases. And that didn't have to do with the fact that raw milk is inherently bad. It had to do with the way it was being uh, processed and um, a lack of Shift. proper sanitation. Right. The thing is, there are some new certification laws coming in, and uh, with a group called, um, um, let's see, it's called, uh, we'll call it Real Milk, uh, Campaign for Real Milk. Uh, okay. There's a website, realmilk.com. Okay. 
and it has information about that. And we're trying to make uh, raw milk legal throughout the country and to also have certification programs to ensure that that milk is healthy and completely clean and uh, healthy for us. Because raw milk comes complete with the enzymes that make it digestible. Right, right. And that pasteurization kills off those enzymes. Exactly. And there are very real problems with pasteurized milk. Um, Not to my mind as serious as the problems with soy milk, but we have so many children who are reacting uh, who are allergic to to pasteurized dairy products? Right. Uh, let's talk about. You talked about at Autism One conference some other really great sources of calcium, and that is a basic soup broth that you recommended. Can you talk more about that? I highly recommend making soups and stews from scratch, both for autistic children and other children with health problems, for anyone with digestive problems. And it's something that I have used successfully with nearly all of my clients. It's pretty much fail-proof. And the basic ingredients you need to do this, and it's really quite simple to do, is you take a crock pot, you throw in some bones, and water and a little vinegar. Those are the key ingredients. If and a little, by a little vinegar, you mean like a, a teaspoon or a tablespoon? A or teaspoon so? to a tablespoon. Okay. Um, we don't have to be rocket scientists about the amount. Right. But we do need the vinegar because the vinegar is what pulls the minerals and the gelatin and collagen and cartilage and other good things out of the bones. And those are the things we need if we're going to heal up our digestive tracts. And that is the key to healing all of these children with health problems. We've got to look at their digestive tracts first. And this is absolutely wonderful. Uh, And with that broth... um, You can do a lot of things. If you're just making the broth, uh, and you can add things like onions, carrots, celery, whatever, to add additional vitamins and minerals. Okay. Uh, Save that broth, and when you're making something like rice, instead of the water, use the broth. Oh, good. If you're making a non-gluten grain dish such as quinoa, use that chicken broth or beef broth or lamb broth as your water. Sure. And, uh, the and you could drink it plain as well. It just, I mean, like drink it like a, a, a beverage. You could do that, or, of course, you could make it into soup. I mean, chicken soup, beef soup, any of those things. Use your favorite recipes. How much a day would you recommend as, as a calcium supplement? Well, uh, it would be great to have a few cups of that a day, especially if that's the only way you're getting it. Right. Uh, if you're doing other supplements that are absorbable and, and that are working for you, uh, you might need less. But I would strongly recommend having some of this every day because it's just healing. Right. Whether you're talking about arthritis or you're talking about colitis or you know bowel problems, digestive problems, this is just a miracle healer that you can do in your own kitchen. That's wonderful. That's fabulous advice. Now, Betsy, for children, uh, we hear so many stories about children not wanting to eat meat. Right. But if we look into it, we find that they're trying to do, you know, skinless, boneless chicken breast. Right, right, right. Steaks hard to digest. Let's hit that when we get back. I want to talk more about that whole meat piece. When we get back, Dr. Kayla Daniel will finish up um, our wonderful talk today on soy. Don't go away. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back here with Dr. Kayla Daniel, and we are going to finish up talking about this wonderful book, The Whole Soy Story, which, by the way, to get your copy, please go to her website, which is wholesoystory.com. You can pick up the book and also receive her newsletter when you purchase the book on from her website, which is a great newsletter as well. Um, and if you would like to make an appointment with Dr. Kayla Daniel, you can do so. Can they do so right at that website as well? Oh, they or? can, absolutely. Great. That's great. Um, my son, you started to mention this and talking about how children love the fat off of meat and such. I have I, children that are the perfect example of this. Um, I will make, I, I'm really big on whole foods in general. And when I make a chicken, I make a whole chicken. And when I take that chicken out of either the roaster or the crock pot or whatever, my son makes a beeline over to it and starts eating the skin. Um, and my daughter, who loves a piece of meat, well, the first thing she asked me for is a nice fatty piece of meat. She likes the fat. We've been told in generations that you know that's not good for us, but what's, what's your thought on that? Oh, we need fat. We need it desperately. More than 60% of our brains are fat. We have fat in every cell of our bodies. And what's important is that we eat good fat. And I'm talking about fat the way Mother Nature designed it, and that would include animal fat. It would include butter, as well as some of the healthier vegetable oils, such as olive oil or eating things like avocados. Now, where we get into trouble is with the fats, the way father technology puts them together. Now, partially hydrogenated fats, trans fatty acids in those, uh, 
And vegetable oils are the products of father technology. They're not things that come naturally. I mean, think about it. Do you know how to take a kernel of corn or a soybean and smash it and turn it into oil? You need a billion-dollar plant to do that. Mm -hmm. But all of us know how to get the oil out of an olive, say. Right. So uh, we need to be extremely careful about the fats we eat and eat a variety of them uh, and beware of the bad fats. And what's happened in this country is everyone has is on these low-fat diets, and children particularly need fats to grow properly. That's right. That's right. I see there's nothing that makes me chill faster than being in some restaurant and seeing a parent give their child, uh, like, a diet soda with, um, you know, fat-free whatever it might be, a fat-free... Um, uh, cream cheese or some, something, something to keep them off of the fat. And parents are taking the media reports that they're getting to sell them products and they're applying them to their children thinking that this is nutritional advice and it's not. And it never really was meant for children, but people are making the assumption that if it's good for me, it's good for children. Well, so many people now are saying that, that yes, babies need fat, but at age two they should start getting them on low fat and no fat, and it's just not true. We all need fats and plenty of it. But this low fat myth is very much a marketing thing again. For instance, I think about it. If you're selling whole, whole milk, you've got one product, but if you're selling skim milk, you can sell both the milk and the cream. Oh. And um, it's so basically you have all these people on skim milk and then they go eat the ice cream right. you know, where the fat is. <laughs> right. And it's it's all about marketing. Very interesting. And that's an important part I'd like to talk about too. These food giants are huge. Are they breakable? I mean, is there anything that do you see any, do you see a ray of hope in the way that uh, the public is becoming more educated or do you see it getting worse? I think many in the pu- many of the public are are becoming aware, and the soy industry in its own publications is admitting that soy protein sales have been slowing down, and they have been in search of the, the next big huge product that they can promote and sell. And they have said that one of the reasons that sales are now slowing is because of people like me and the, the whole soy story. <laughs> They usually won't recommend me by name, but they'll talk about some negative reports that are surfacing in the media. And they have been spinning their wheels like crazy trying to figure out ways to stop those reports, but the word is getting out. You're doing the right thing, Kayla, and I know that as an activist, which you are in many ways, it, 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 it makes you very unpopular in a lot of venues. And I appreciate you putting your neck out there. That's why I recommend your book so often. Uh, your book, by the way, I want to make, people, make sure that people know, is not really just about soy. Uh, there's a lot of great nutritional information in there, specifically about excitotoxins, which is another really important piece to look at. Um, and can you tell us what, a little bit about excitotoxins. Well, that's uh, things like aspartate and MSG and those children on the diet sodas, they are risking permanent brain damage. And the problem with those things is it's cumulative. It's not a case of you eat something bad one day and it's not a big deal, but it, it, it accumulates in the body. Right. And with a child's developing brain, that diet soda is just plain dangerous. And especially for the fetus, if you're pregnant and you're drinking your diet soda, 
all of these things you have to take in consideration. People are addicted to soda, and, and I think a big reason people are addicted to soda is because their parents are being told to give their children juice. So they're going right from juice to soda because they're not used to drinking water. Yes, they're not drinking water because the tap water tastes so bad, and what people need to be looking at is is uh, getting better sources of water. Right. And not um, uh, sodas made with tap water with many, many other very harmful ingredients as well. That's for sure. And the juices, they're loaded with sugar, and sugar is just not good for us. Right, right. And that's, that is a good reason for raising cholesterol. I mean, we, we like to blame the egg, but in many cases it's really the sugar that's raising our cholesterol. Well, there are so many problems with sugar, and uh, weight gain is more from sugar than from fat. In fact, people who are eating healthy fats like coconut oil and butter uh, right. rarely have a weight problem. Right. It's it's the, it's definitely the sugars. And, and they take these fat-free cookies, and they just add extra sugar, and uh, people aren't even aware as to what they're, they're doing. Uh, sugar hitting the immune system so so negatively as well, feeding yeast. As you said, there's many, many reasons why sugar can be bad. And yeast, in turn, that's uh, causing brain damage and other problems. So uh, there's so many factors. We, scare, we may have scared people a lot today, uh, and I want people to understand that there are healthy ways of eating. We're not saying all food is bad. There are a lot of wonderful, fabulous foods out there, but we need to rethink the way we eat. And as, as I've said many times before, as Dr. Mercola has said many times, and as you have said, uh, Dr. Daniel, is that we need to go back to eating the way we ate 100 years ago. Absolutely. That's the key. We need to be thinking food and not food products because what is hurting our children is is what's coming in the packages and in the cans, it's the products. And Mother Nature gave us whole foods. And I recommend to my clients and my friends and family that we eat the foods that have been around for tens of thousands of years. Right. And then another another uh, thing to keep in mind is uh, think about, uh, you know, eat something that... Um, that will rot and eat it before it rots. Eat it before it goes bad. If something's going to live forever, don't eat it. You know, it's designed by a, a processor for shelf life. That's a very good point as well. Go back to drinking water as much as you can. Stay away, please, from the soy milk and the soy ice creams. And I have to say, they they have definitely figured out the taste thing because the, the soy ice creams are phenomenally good. They, they've really done a great job at making them good. Um, but once again, if you're dealing with any of the above problems that we've spoken of today, keep it out of your diet for as long as you can and make it a very rare choice for you. Same thing with the soy cheeses. Dr. Daniel, one of the big questions that I get asked for when, when I have to take somebody off of dairy is, what are my cheese options? And um, because I, I refuse to recommend soy cheeses, um, the best that I've come up with at this point is making basically nut cheeses. Um, is, 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 that, is that something that you're familiar with doing? I have not done that personally. Now, that should be a good choice if the child isn't allergic to nuts as well. And, of course, one of the problems with allergies is people aren't allergic to just one thing. It's, to, it, it, it's increasingly to just about everything. 
And that happens more and more, you know, when these children get on limited diets and they start eating something else to excess, and then that becomes an allergy too. Right. So it's so important that we start to incorporate as much variety as we can right. in the diet. Rotate, rotate, rotate. The, the nut cheeses, for any of you who are looking for a recipe for a nut cheese, I usually recommend to go to your local bookstore and look for a book on raw food. Um, a lot of the, the raw foods movement is, is getting bigger, gaining a lot of momentum, and they make a lot of their cheeses out of nuts in very, very healthy ways. So that would be a good source to get some good recipes for making your own cheeses. One of the wonderful things that the raw food movement has uh, taught us is the importance of soaking seeds and yep. nuts and grains in beans. and Yes. They recommend that, and that um, will help digestion. It certainly will. We've learned a lot about digestion today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Dr. Daniel, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Once again, please visit our website, wholesoystory.com and soyfreesolutions.com. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.